Hello and welcome to the Fit to Transform podcast, where you learn how to train and diet effectively and, most importantly, how to maintain those results for life, once and for all. I'm Nikias Tomasiello, a transgender training and nutrition coach working online with anyone who's ready for a true lifestyle transformation anywhere they may be in the world. As a friendly reminder, any and all information provided is for educational purposes only. You should consult with your doctor before implementing any changes to your diet and exercise program. With that disclaimer out of the way, thank you for being here. Now grab yourself a cup of tea or pre-workouts and enjoy. Yo, welcome back to the podcast. Today's solo episode is dedicated to probably the most popular supplement in the fitness community, and that is protein powder. I'm going to talk about whether you need it to maximize your gains, considerations to make before purchasing protein powder, and the main characteristics of the most commonly available types of protein powder on the market, including both animal-based protein powders and plant-based protein powders. So to start, protein powder isn't a must-have. It's not a magical supplement that's going to contribute any more to your diet than another high-protein source. So if you could get all of your protein for the day from other foods that are, do not include protein powder, you would not need powder in order to um, get any better results. But realistically, most people struggle to get enough protein in a day. So protein powder is likely going to be your best friend to support your protein intake. It's easy, it's convenient, it's tasty if you find the right product that suits your own preferences. So while you don't necessarily need it, it's certainly a huge help. Now, when you're scouring the web or your closest supplement store looking for protein powder, I would encourage you to consider the following four factors. Taste, whether the protein powder is complete or incomplete, the loosing content, and the digestibility. Taste might be obvious, but it's not to be underestimated because some protein powders taste absolutely vile. I've recently been trying a number of different ones myself, and when they taste disgusting, I cannot stomach even one serving. And I've also had clients who told me very excitedly, hey coach, I got protein powder, so now you're going to be super happy with my protein intake. And then at the next check-in, I would go through their data and I would ask, so what happened to your protein intake? It's still relatively low uh, compared to the target I set for you. And they'd be like, yeah, I tried the protein powder. I had to ban it because it was terrible. So taste is extremely important here. It can literally make or break your protein intake for that day or that week. The second factor is whether the protein is complete or incomplete. And what I mean by that is that complete protein contains all of the nine essential amino acids, essential meaning that you can't synthesize them, your body can't synthesize them, 
so we need to get them from food. And these need to be present, all nine of them, in the appropriate quantity in order to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Now, in most cases, people have protein shakes on their own without adding any other food, especially if they're on the go or right after training. So ideally, your protein powder would be a complete protein source containing all of the nine essential amino acids in the appropriate quantity per serving so that all you need is a scoop or a couple of scoops and you've got an appropriate protein serving to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Related to whether the protein is complete, protein powder, sorry, is complete or incomplete, is the leucine content. Leucine is one of the nine essential amino acids and one of the BCAAs or branch chained amino acids. Leucine is particularly important because it seems that there is a leucine threshold that your protein serving per meal needs to hit in order to send the signal to the muscle cells to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. And this leucine threshold seems to be around 2.5 to 3.5 grams of leucine per meal or snack. Again, a lot of people will have a protein shake as one snack, so one protein serving without any additional protein sources. Therefore, you want a protein powder that's going to contain enough leucine per serving to hit that threshold. And the reason why for both the leucine threshold and whether the pro protein source is complete or incomplete, I've said that most people consume protein powder on its own, is that you don't need to have a complete protein source or to hit the leucine threshold with just one food. You can achieve the right amount of essential amino acids and hit the leucine threshold by combining a variety of different protein sources in every meal. So if you do happen to consume protein powder as one of several protein sources in the same meal or snack, it would be possible for you to hit the leucine threshold and accumulate the right amount of the nine essential amino acids to maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis. But in my view, it would require quite a bit of thinking that if you simply had a complete protein source as your protein powder, you wouldn't have to do. Now, most people are familiar with the concept of complete and incomplete protein, but not as many people know about the leucine threshold. And I wouldn't want anyone to go crazy trying to measure the leucine content in all of their meals from here on out. You don't need to do this to hit the leucine threshold. Based on the current research, in order to maximize the anabolic response or muscle building response that you can get from each meal and snack, you want to make sure that you're having 0.4 grams per kilogram of body weight, so 0.4 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight across a minimum of four meals, so that in total for the day you hit at least 
1.6 grams of protein per kilogram per day. Or you could have 0.5 grams of protein per kilogram per meal over four meals per day, and you would achieve 2.2 grams of protein per kilogram per day. And this range, 1.6 to 2.2 grams of protein per kilogram per day, is the evidence-based recommended range to maximize the results that you get from a high-protein diet. Having said that, if you're below this intake, it doesn't mean that you make zero gains. And I've discussed this at length with Dr. Eric Traxler back in episode 15 of the podcast. So you can listen to that one for more. And if you're interested in reading more about the actual research we have on this topic, the specific research paper I'm pulling these figures from, this 0.4 to 0.5 grams of protein per kilogram per day, is a paper titled How Much Protein Can the Body Use in a Single Meal for Muscle Building? Implications for Daily Protein Distribution, authored by Schoenfeld and Argen in 2018. And you'll find the link in the show notes. So if you achieve this much protein in every meal, and over the course of the day, you total 1.6 to 2.2 grams of protein per kilogram per day, you're going to maximize the anabolic response that you are going to get from your protein, uh, your high protein diet. So if you're hitting this amount of protein from either one complete protein source or a combination of different sources, you're likely going to hit not only a really high daily total protein intake, which ultimately is the top priority, but also the right amount of essential amino acids and the leucine threshold. And for most people, 0.4 to 0.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight per meal is going to roughly correspond to 20 to 40 grams. If you consume a majority of animal-based protein sources, if not only animal-based protein sources, then you can likely hit the right amount of essential amino acids and the leucine threshold with a, an amount of protein that's closer to the 20 to 30 gram mark because all of the animal-based protein sources are complete. So they do contain all of the essential amino acids, including leucine. On the other hand, if you are vegetarian or vegan, so you consume some plant-based protein sources or only plant-based protein sources, you likely want to go for the higher end of the range per meal and also go for the higher end of the recommended range of protein intakes for the whole day. Because most plant-based protein sources are incomplete. Therefore, you need to combine them and you need a greater quantity of them to maximize the anabolic response that you can get from that meal. And if you're having more protein per meal, naturally, you're going to uh, end up on the higher end of the recommended range for protein intake. As an example of the difference between animal-based and plant-based protein powders specifically, there was a study published in 2020 by Lynch and colleagues, and it was a 12-week training study where they divided the subjects into two groups, where one group 
was following the same training program as the other group, but they were consuming soy protein as a supplement, whereas the other group following exactly the same training program was consuming whey isolate as a supplement. And they had respectively 26 grams of soy isolate and 19 grams of whey isolate. And the difference in quantity is due to the fact that the researchers wanted to match the leucine content. So 26 grams of soy isolate contain the same amount of leucine as 19 grams of whey isolate. They also assessed the rest of the diet of the subjects, and they found that from the beginning to the end of the study, it wasn't significantly different, and importantly, the protein intake wasn't significantly different, which is relevant because if one group was consuming 3 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight and the other group was consuming 1 gram of protein per kilogram of body weight, that would have obviously affected the results. But these two groups were evenly matched, or at least, as I said, the differences weren't significant. And what's interesting is that they found no significant difference in the results that these subjects got from the training and from the supplementation. But to my point, the subjects consuming soy had to consume more soy isolate in order to match the leucine content that was found in the whey isolate. And technically, soy, although a plant-based protein source, is a complete protein source. And even so, it does have all of the nine essential amino acids, but not in the same quantity as whey isolate. And clearly, based on the study, not it doesn't contain the same amount of leucine. So bringing the conversation back to protein powder, you want to consider a protein powder that contains all of the nine essential amino acids, and you want to ensure that you're consuming enough of the protein powder every time you have it to maximize muscle protein synthesis and to hit the leucine threshold. And that's about 0.4 to 0.5 grams of protein per kilogram in that particular meal or snack. And nowadays, if it's a, an animal-based protein powder, they usually won't mention this on the label because it goes without saying, but with vegan protein powders, they will often mention on the label whether the serving that they provide does contain all of the nine essential amino acids. It has become a a unique selling point. So it's something to look out for on the packaging. And while this is rarer, some companies will list all of the essential amino acids on the label of their protein powder. So you can look for how much leucine is in one serving of that powder, which I believe is just excellent. Now, the last but by no means least important factor that I want to uh, talk about is the digestibility of the protein powder because it's not uncommon for people to complain that a certain protein powder makes them bloat or gives them other IBS-like symptoms. And what you do digest well or not so well is very individual. So you will have to experiment with potentially a variety of protein powders if you find that you have some unpleasant reactions to them. So I can't tell you exactly what to choose, 
but I can give you some advice on what to look out for. So first, consider the additional ingredients that are added to the protein powder. For example, if there are sweeteners, if there are bulking agents like santan gum or other types of gum, these are some of the most common additives. So for example, if you find yourself sensitive to sugar alcohols, you might want to opt for a protein powder without sugar alcohols that has perhaps natural sweeteners like stevia, thaumatin, or monk fruit. And in some cases, bulking agents like the, these types of gum that I mentioned can cause bloating. So you might want to avoid those if you find that you have that kind of reaction. In addition, many protein powders now, especially the higher quality ones, will have an ingredient called digezyme, which is spelled D-I-G-E-Z-Y-M-E. And this is a blend of enzymes, digestive enzymes, that help break down the ingredients in the protein powder so you can digest them better. So if you have digestive issues, look for a product that contains digesine. Finally, if you are intolerant to lactose, then you might do better on plant-based protein powders, or you might want to opt for protein powders with a low lactose content or that are lactose-free, even though they are animal-based. And since I'm now moving into giving you a rundown of the various types of protein powder available on the market, I'm going to discuss exactly which ones I'm talking about. So, speaking of protein powder types, whey protein is the poster child for protein powder. It's an animal-based protein powder that derives from milk. So it is a complete source of protein. And the first step in the process of making whey protein is that milk gets pasteurized in order to kill harmful bacteria. And at this point, the milk is 80% casein protein and 20% whey protein. Well, not it's, it contains 80% casein and about 20% whey protein. Then the milk curds, which contain the casein and the liquid whey are separated. The casein is usually used to make cheese or rather the curds are further processed into cheese and other dairy products, whereas liquid whey is spray dried and then turned to powder. And voila, you've got your protein powder, your whey protein powder. And there are three main varieties of whey protein differentiated by the degree of processing. And the more processed whey protein is, the more protein it will contain per serving and the less carbs, fats and lactose it will contain. Whey protein concentrate is the least processed type, so it still contains some fats, some carbs and some lactose and that's usually the type that people with some intolerance to lactose or sensitivity to lactose tend to struggle with. Then there's whey protein isolate, which is more processed and therefore easier to digest if you have a sensitivity to lactose. The last type, which is less well-known, is called whey protein hydrolysate or hydrolyzed whey protein. And this is even more processed and essentially lactose-free. So if you are lactose intolerant, 
you want to try whey isolate or whey hydrolysate or hydrolyzed whey protein. Another variety of protein powder that comes from milk is casein. And as I've just said, casein is contained in the curds that are further processed into cheese. And you can find casein in two main forms. One is micellar casein and one is hydrolyzed casein. And the difference is processing again. So micellar casein will contain a little bit more fats and carbs, whereas hydrolyzed casein has a higher protein content. And these are the two most common and most popular animal-based protein powders. Two other types of protein powder that are less well-known and still animal-based are egg protein powder and beef protein powder. Both of these are complete sources as well. Egg protein powder, as far as I know, is mainly available as an unflavored protein powder, whereas the types of beef protein that I've seen on the market, the um, types of beef protein powder that I've seen around have a flavor. As for plant-based protein powders, the most common are soy protein isolate, pea protein isolate, and vegan blends of different protein sources. Now, as I mentioned earlier, soy isolate is a complete protein source. However, you may need a little bit more soy than you will need whey in order to reach the same leucine content. Pea isolate is another complete plant-based source of protein, but when compared to whey protein, although it contains all of the nine essential amino acids, it appears to be lower in methionine and cysteine. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I never said it out loud. Anyway, that's why rather than getting pea protein isolate on its own, I would recommend getting a protein blend that combines pea protein and brown rice protein or pea protein, brown rice and hemp because brown rice and hemp contain higher amounts of methionine and cysteine. So this blend is a complete protein source with the additional benefits of having all of the nine essential amino acids not only present, but present in the right proportions to have a similar effect as whey protein on muscle protein synthesis if you're also hitting the leucine threshold. Both soy protein and pea protein are available not only as isolates, but also as concentrates. And the difference is the same as between whey protein isolate and whey protein concentrate, whereby the concentrate variation is less processed, contains less protein and a higher proportion of carbs and fats. Finally, as I've literally just mentioned, there are the blends. And the poster child or the most common vegan blend is the blend of pea protein and brown rice protein that I've just mentioned. But sometimes you can also find other plant-based protein sources like sunflower or hemp, which on their own would provide an incomplete source of protein. However, in a blend with the right complementary sources of plant-based protein, they would provide a complete profile. In my view, soy isolate or a blend can all be viable options, as long as 
the serving of protein powder you're going to have contains enough of the essential amino acids to make it a complete source and to hit the leucine threshold per meal. In summary, there are plenty of protein powder choices that will provide a complete source of protein per serving, whether they're animal-based or plant-based. If you want to maximize the anabolic response that you're going to get from your protein powder, you want to work out an appropriate range in grams of protein powder to consume relative to your body mass in kilograms, and that will be 0.4 to 0.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body mass or target body mass if you currently carry excess body fat, because technically your ideal protein intake depends on fat-free mass or muscle mass. If you consume a plant-based protein powder, then you also want to take into account the fact that there is less leucine in many plant-based protein powders than in animal-based protein powders. And for that reason, you want to aim for 30 to 40 grams to make sure that you hit that all-important leucine threshold. Other than that, you can make your choice of protein powder based on taste and your ability to digest it well. In conclusion, I want to take a little detour because if you've been listening to this and now you're thinking, fuck, complete protein, leucine threshold, Man, I'm lucky if I get 50 grams of protein in a day, let alone 20 to 40 grams per meal, four times a day, then this little side note is for you. I want to provide more complex information because there are people out there that are on this level and they're going to benefit from that level of complexity. But there are also people who are not on that level yet, and I believe that they can get there if they wanted to and if they decided to apply themselves. So I want them to have this education. However, if you're not at this level yet, I don't want you to feel disheartened. I want you to feel inspired and to think of it this way. Okay, I'm not there yet, but over time I will get there. So for now, Start where you're at and build up from there. So take from this podcast and from all of my other podcasts what's useful for you at this time and file the rest away for later. Just so you know, I don't talk about the leucine threshold or protein frequency or complete protein to clients who aren't at that level yet. I always start everyone where they're at. And some clients decide never to reach the top level of complexity because it helps them achieve a better balance between fitness and the rest of their life, which in turn means that they can be consistent for longer. Many people are led to believe that either you get results by maximizing everything or you don't. But that's simply not true. Results occur on a spectrum. There are tiers in fitness. For example, if you listen to episode 15 with Dr. Eric Trexler, where we talked all about protein and the appropriate protein intake in order to gain muscle, we discussed different ranges for protein intake. There's the top range that I've mentioned today, but you can also gain muscle on a lower protein intake. And it's the same with every other aspect of fitness. There's a bare minimum tier that you need to hit in order to see some results, but you don't need to get to the top level or else you will never see any results at all. And it is your choice 
where you want to fall on that spectrum and which tier you want to aim for, depending on how big of a priority fitness is for you in life right now. So start where you're at, use the more complex information as inspiration for the future if you are interested in it. And remember that nobody who's just starting out wakes up tomorrow and suddenly eats 200 grams of protein when they were only eating 30 the day before. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Hopefully this has given you some helpful insight to choose the best protein powder for your needs and preferences. As always, if you want to connect with me, the links to do so will be in the show notes, including the link to apply for online coaching. And I'm currently taking on clients, so I look forward to hearing from you and to get to know you and how I can help you on your own fitness journey. Thank you so much for tuning in and until next time. Lastly, if you want to support the podcast and help me reach more people, please leave a five-star rating or review on any podcast platform that you're using. Thank you very much for listening and I'll speak to you soon.